0: of something the earlier you texted in, the better chances are that it will be addressed. So, um, yeah, you can be aware of that. Here you go, John. Thanks. This will mean nothing to you if you weren't here this morning, but I wanted to be relevant
1: tonight, so I looked all over for skinny jeans,
0: and I couldn't find any anywhere. And
1: I don't drink coffee, so I didn't bring a latte. Um, but yeah, Josiah has skinny jeans on, so he is a relevant man. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So, Philippians 2 is what I'm going to be talking to you about tonight. We're in the second chapter. I listened to what Bob had to say last week because it's on video online. I know Bob loves that as much as I love it happening this week. Um, And I know he asked you guys to be reading through uh, Philippians, and I hope some of you have done that and kind of gotten a feel for what this story is about and what goes on. But if you read in an NIV like I usually do, one of the things that you would have missed is you. As you were reading through um, chapter two is there's a word there that it starts out with that the um, translators the niv for some reason chose to omit and chapter two starts with this word therefore and for some reason they left that out therefore and then he goes on and says all these things so when it starts with therefore it means look at what came just before what is he saying is kind of the foundation of everything he's just about to say and so if you look just before in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, what you see is Paul is saying to them, you guys are in suffering, you're facing suffering, you're going to be suffering, these things are coming. Tough times are kind of here. And Paul, Paul is saying the suffering you're facing now and the suffering you will face is in many ways the same kind of suffering that he's in. Remember Saul, that Paul is in a Roman prison, that he has suffered... Persecution because of the message he's speaking. And he seems to be saying to them, you guys are suffering some of those same kind of things. Some scholars think maybe it was even because of the Roman citizens in Philippi, under Roman control, that maybe they were suffering persecution because it was kind of entering that time where many were asking them to acknowledge this almost near deity um, identity that they assigned to Nero, to the emperor. That many were being asked to kind of acknowledge that or affirm that in some way they wouldn't, beginning to suffer some persecution, and we know later in history that persecution grew and grew much more serious. So maybe something like that, but in some way they're suffering. And if you read through that first chapter, you you realize there's other ways they were suffering. I mean, if you read through Philippians, the one thing you catch is Paul loved these people. He cared about them. They had kind of a special relationship with Paul, And, and they cared deeply about Paul. This one who had been such a manner to them and had such an impact in their life is now suffering. He's in this hard situation. Matter of fact, they cared so much about it that they sent Epaphroditus, one of their own, who's probably a, a central figure in the church, probably a leader in the church. And they sent him to go to Rome and to care for Paul, to be there for him and to try and meet his needs. So they, they deeply cared. And then this one they sent, they're worried about Paul, and this one they sent, then they find out he's so ill that he may die. So now we're not only struggling because of what Paul's going through, now this one that we've sent, who's one of us, who we care about, he's there and he's on the edge of death. Um, all of these things are going on. As a matter of fact, within their own church, this church that's been so unified, so known for love, so known... As matter of fact, Paul says in another of his letters that they were, even in the midst of poverty, these incredibly generous people. It's one of the things he loved about them. that They were just so quick to give. It's who they were. And they were such a unified body, but now we know... We read on in Philippians that there's some conflict going on in the church. There seems to be some battle and probably some divisiveness that's happening within the church. So so suffering of the people they love, suffering coming from outside, even some suffering within, some conflict going on within the church. All these things are happening. And then Paul says, therefore, since, since all this is happening, matter of fact, what I'm calling you to do in the midst of all this suffering is, I want you to conduct conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, he says. I want you to be united. I want you to pull together. I want you to have one mind and one voice and conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. In the midst of all this threat, all these threatening things, I want you to think outside yourself and give yourself to something bigger than yourself for others. That's not the natural response in the face of threat, is it? I mean, when you feel threatened with something... How do you normally respond to that? Psychologists talk a lot about, they will talk about fright, fight, flight, and freeze. Our normal reactions to that. You've probably all heard fight or flight many times. Nowadays, they, they kind of add freeze and fright to it. Because what they say, kind of normal reactions when something feels very threatening to you. When something feels like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Normal reaction is first we freeze. And it's kind of a panic reaction. We become hyper vigilant. We we start looking at the danger and uh oh, now what do I do? I was just watching a show. All these shows have been out lately about you know these um, cruise ships and the problems on the cruise ships. And so I was watching a show the other day about danger on the seas. You know what happens when something happens on a cruise ship? And they were talking about the fact that on the average cruise ship, when something bad happens, you know they're starting to sink. Something bad happens. A very, very small percentage of people will act. Almost everybody else will freeze. They will do nothing. Even to save themselves. they will just freeze because it's just a panic reaction. I don't know, the threat is so big, I don't know what to do, so what I'll do is just nothing. I'll stand here. And that's kind of a defensive thing. We naturally do that. Our bodies are actually kind of hardwired to protect ourselves. We don't even have to think about it. It just happens to us. A second reaction, though, is something's threatening, dangerous coming at us, we, we fight. We will try and solve that problem in some way, so we'll fight in the sense of think hard about it, try to find a solution. If it's a physical attack, we'll put our fists up and, and go at it, we'll try and fight it off, we'll try and protect ourselves that way. Um, we'll demand somebody else step in and do something for us, maybe we'll get mad at others and say it shouldn't be that way, get in there and do something, because we're fighting it. We want that threat to go away. A natural response, we'll flee. We'll run as fast as we can and get away from it. If I don't think I can beat it, I'm getting out of here. Or fright is kind of the, I can't get away, I can't defeat it, I can't conquer it. I'm just gonna take as little harm from it as I can and I'll curl up in a little ball on the floor and try and minimize the injury from it. I'll just try and protect myself the best I can. Interesting little study was done in mice. I'm not saying mice are just like us, but in mice, where they they have this um, kind of maze of several rooms, and they can put electric shock into the floor of each of these rooms. And what they find with mice is if they they put the shocks into the room one after the other in a pattern, the mice will very quickly learn the pattern, and they will stay ahead of it. They will just automatically, even before they get shocked, they will just be in the room a while, they'll leave, be in the room a while, leave, because once they learn the pattern, they'll flee it, they'll stay ahead of it. And if they change the pattern, They'll struggle a little, but pretty quickly they'll learn it and they'll keep moving ahead of it. But if they randomly start moving the shocks, if they don't have a pattern, they will keep trying to flee, keep trying to flee, and eventually figure out that it's a pattern they can't figure out, and they will just stand still and not move. They will just keep getting shocked. Because why flee? It's just hopeless. Even if it gives me a moment, it's coming back anyway, so why do? Well, we're not that much different. If I can't fight it, if I can't run away from it, I just kind of curl up and... Try and minimize it in some way. Try and make it not hurt too bad. Because what do I do about it, right? Well, again, our bodies are kind of hardwired for that. We we have these remarkable bodies that God designed that are made literally, physiologically, to protect ourselves. So when you're in this kind of fight-or-flight mode where something threatening is happening, hypothalamus in your brain kind of sends out this alert to your body, to your nerves, and to your glands, and it releases hormones to the best-known are cortisol and adrenaline. Get released automatically into your body. The adrenaline does things like increases your heart rate. Your pupils dilate. You become very aware of everything in front of you. The the blood vessels in your muscles dilate so that you get more blood flow to your muscles. You're ready to fight, right? But cortisol actually does some other things. It increases the blood sugars so that you have more immediate energy to fight. It increases the way your brain kind of accepts that energy so that you can be more alert and think quickly, it actually shuts down parts of your body. Your intestines shut down, reproductive systems shut down, growth processes shut down, because those aren't necessary for a fight. So your body literally starts shutting them off. It's why people who are under constant stress have things like intestinal problems, because your body's not made to have your intestines shut down all the time. It actually causes you physical problems. Things like your jaw muscles, a real vulnerable part of your body, the muscles automatically tighten without you even thinking about it. It does it to protect it, because it's vulnerable. Your stomach muscles tighten to protect a vulnerable part of your body. It just does it as a reflex, because there's a threat. I need to protect myself. It's why people who are under stress all the time have headaches all the time. It's why they have jaw problems. It's why they have problems, uh, sometimes headaches, because my pupils are dilated a lot. Your body's not really made to do that all the time. It's made to do that for a moment in the face of a threat. The problem is your body doesn't distinguish real well from emotional threat and physical threat. So it does all these things that prepare you for a physical fight, but if what you're facing is an emotional or relational fight, they're all kicking on them too. And the problem with emotional and relational fights, they kind of go on and on and on, don't they? They're not a moment and it's over. They kind of stand. Your body's really not made to keep doing that and it causes all these physical problems and relational problems because we're not made to do that. I say all that not to educate you and your body so much, is to say, What a remarkable thing God's done in the way he's designed us. He's designed us naturally to be people who protect ourselves in the face of a threat. Without thought, our bodies do it for us. It kind of says God is not wanting us to be without defense. God wants us to be able to protect ourselves, to be able to fight. As a matter of fact, when those things kick on, it kind of becomes the only thing that matters is survival. Everything is about taking care of you in that moment, right? If someone's standing in front of you holding a gun at you and I say... Well, you know, the person over there has some needs. I want you to think about them and pray for them. You probably not spend a lot of time doing that, right? In that moment, that threat is so big, it deserves me thinking only about myself, about survival, about self-protection. It's reasonable, it's right because the threat is so big. See, our problem, I don't think, is that system. Our problem is we turn that system on in a lot of places where it's not helpful, where it's not useful. Because honestly, that threat isn't as dangerous as we think it is. We have determined it's that dangerous, we treat it as something that dangerous, but it's really not. It's a misunderstanding of the threat. There's times, absolutely, we are made to defend ourselves, to protect ourselves, to fight, but sometimes we're turning that system on just automatically without thought because we treat something as a bigger danger than it actually is. Getting back to Philippians chapter 2. I say all that to say, I think Paul is saying to these people before him, you're in a bad spot, dangerous spot. There are a lot of threats that you're going to be facing, that you are facing right now, just like I am. I understand what it is to face that kind of threat. And he says, in the face of that kind of threat, I want you to do what is absolutely unnatural, what goes against everything in you that, that your body, that your mind is going to be telling you to do. It's going to tell you, take care of yourself. Defend yourself. Fight for yourself. What do I want you to do? Well, you look a little earlier like in chapter 1, verse 9. I want you to abound more and more in love and in depth of insight. I want you to become even more loving than you already are. I want you to be wiser in your application of love. I want you to be blameless and pure in this world so that you will bring glory and honor to God. That's what I want you to do. I want you to think about those bigger purposes and serve them. Not take care of you. I want you to pull together as a community. I want you to look at the people around you and become one, and not just think about you. I want you to think about the world out there and how you're going to bless it, how you're going to serve it. I want you to live a life, to have conduct that is worthy of this gospel that you've heard in the city. It's, it's unnatural, it's not what we naturally do in the face of threat. And then you go to chapter 2, and I think Paul starts saying, So here's some of the, the fuel you're going to need. Here's some of the motivation you're going to need to do this very unnatural thing. Here's what I want to offer you and give you, because I know this is going to be hard. Paul's been in it, he knows it, this is going to be hard. So here's what I want you to have as you walk out into this threat and live lives worthy of the gospel. So here are some of the things he says. If you look in chapter 2, he starts out by saying... If, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, fellowship with the Spirit, tenderness and compassion. And of course the obvious answer is, of course you do. If you're in Christ, you have all these things. And he draws their attention not just to the threat, but says, let's remember what else is true. I'm not telling you the threat doesn't exist. But what else is true? Spirit is with you. You have fellowship with the Spirit. God loves you and cares about you. You have his tenderness and his compassion. All of those things are true. You are in Christ this is still true. Remember that. If this is true of you, then he goes on and says, and give yourself away for the sake of others. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If all of this is true, then you'll be able to do this. But remember this. In that moment of threat, you're not going to think about it, right? All you're going to think about is yourself. But remember, you're not alone in this. God's with you. The Spirit's with you. You're in Christ. God loves you. You have His tenderness, and His compassion. Now let's go back and think about what I asked you to do. What's your call to do? Think about others. Look outside yourself. Comes back and talks about some more things. Said if you do so, you'll make Paul... Paul says you'll make my joy complete. You know, this, this person you love, this man who's poured his life into you, this one who you care about, who you respect... He's done all these things to serve a purpose bigger than himself. You want to make Paul's joy complete, and you know they do. You know they want to fulfill the purpose that Paul has been pouring his life into them for. He says, you want to do that. Well, it doesn't end with you. I poured into you that you might pour into others. I poured into you that you might be a community that's different than the world around you. Make my joy complete, and you make my joy complete by serving the same God I'm serving and obeying him. So again... Look outside yourself and even look at me, Paul says. Remember me, this one who loves you. Don't look at just the threat. Look in the face of one who loves you. And what am I calling you to do? You trust me. You know I'm for you. You know I'm sacrificed for you. You know I want your best. What would I call you to do? Then do that. Keep that face in front of you also when you see the threat. And then he says, that part of the, this passage that most of us know best, again in verse 6. and under the earth, in every tongue you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Remember Jesus? This one who we serve, this one who has poured his life out for us and into us. Remember his example. This one who, who didn't grab hold of and hold on to what was rightfully his. All the position and the power and the privilege that was rightfully his, that he released it. And he obeyed the Father. And he obeyed the Father and he poured his life out for you. And he says, even to the point of death... Even death on a cross, exclamation point. Even death on a cross. We we say those words nowadays and forget what those mean. People in Philippi who are under this oppression from Roman rule do not forget what that meant. This example before you at Jesus with the incredible privilege and right that is his, the right to respect, to worship, the position and power that's his. He released it for the sake of pouring his life out for us and obeying his Father even to the point of death on a cross. The most humiliating thing you can imagine, the most horrible thing you can imagine, he was even willing to be obedient to that point. And the other thing is kind of the message here is, and he did that because he trusted the Father. Because he trusted the Father's love for him, he obeyed and he followed. And what did the Father do for him? The Father took care of him. The Father lifted him back up and exalted him to the place that was his. Jesus let go of it, Put it back in the hands of the Father, and the Father lifted him back up. He says, look at the example of Jesus. I'm asking you to release these things that you want to take care of for yourself. There's a threat in front of you, and you feel the right for justice. You feel the right for self-protection. You feel the right to survival. And I'm telling you, let go of those things and put them in the hand of the Father, and trust Him with them, and pour your life out for the sake of others, just like Jesus your word has done for you. He goes on and says, "Um, matter of fact, this is behavior that's consistent with what you know. With who you are and, and what you know you want to be. I'm not calling you to be something contrary to who you really are. You know that. In Christ, this is who you are. He says in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. You know this is you. Live consistently with who you are don't let the threat cause you to go a different way. This is the direction you've gone, this is what you believe in. Continue to walk that direction. And in the face of threat he also says in verses 14 through 16, "Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without a fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life." This is not suffering this is not a path you're being called to that's without meaning, without purpose. You're not suffering just to suffer. You are suffering because even your suffering will not be a sign that evil is won. Even your suffering, it may feel like this is going against everything good. This is letting the injustice and the evil have victory. No, it's not. God will even take that and he will use that to serve his good purposes. Matter of fact, it will be the very thing that will shine brightest in your world. When you're in a a dark night and you look up and see those stars, you almost can't help but, but have a sense of awe towards them. Be drawn to look at them and to celebrate them. He says that's what your lives will be like when you're willing in this dark world to live these pure and blameless lives, these lives of love that abound more and more in love and depth of wisdom in the way you love. The more you do that, you shine like a bright light as you hold out this word this word of life that you've received, the very words, the very truth that has given you life, now as you hold it out, you hold it out from a position that can't help but be seen. That's why you do this. Don't think this suffering is just for the sake of suffering. God will use it to serve this great and glorious purpose. Stay in it. Finally, as you go 19 on, he kind of ends the passage by saying "Just real practically. And I get it. This is hard to do. And you're not alone. You're not In fact, I want to send Timothy back to you, somebody you trust and admire, somebody who understands. He's been through it. He's suffered like you've suffered. You know he cares about you. You respect him. I'm sending him back to be there beside you as you go through it. Epaphroditus, this one you've sent to me, you've known that he's suffering. Matter of fact, God's brought him through it. He's going to make it. He's going to be okay. And I'm sending him right now back to you because I know you need support as you walk through this. You need each other. You need others who understand. Paul said, matter of fact, as soon as I can, and I believe I will, I'm coming back. I'm going to be there with you and pull for you and encourage you and support you because we need each other. All of these things, I want you to remember and hold on to so that when that threat's right in front of you and you're tempted to say, all of my resources need to go into protecting me, I want you to remember that's not all that's true. All these other things are equally true. So I have a a, a prop today. So when I... uh when I counsel with people, in illustration, that I often use the illustration of a beach ball. Because I'm often talking with people who are facing something that feels like a threat. Something that feels very threatening to them. So I often talk about a beach ball. So I even wrote the words on here. Because a beach ball doesn't look very threatening, does it? So I wrote words on here. Words like loss and betrayal and rejection and failure and abuse and conflict. And, and these feelings that they stir like fear and shame and contempt and all these things. I said, imagine there's something that in your life feels threatening to you. Right now it feels like, uh uh-oh, this thing has come. This thing is before me. If I continue on the path I've been on, uh uh-oh, these things are going to happen. And the threat in the first moment feels like it's right here, doesn't it? It feels like it's it's all I can see. It dominates my vision. My whole experience is about this. Everything else just kind of disappears because this is all I see. And when this is all you see, it makes sense to pour all your resources into it. I have to. Life is out there. I can't get there if I can't get through this or away from this. I have to deal with it. So it feels justified to pour everything, all your resources into dealing with this. This has to be. And so we try to conquer it, we try and attack it, or we try to demand others get in here and attack it for us because we need to get this thing out of here. It's all I can see. Or I need to turn around and run away from it. And all my resources are still focused on it, just getting away from it. That's what I have to do, because it demands that. Or another common thing we'll do is is we'll try and kind of push it out of sight. I can't run away from it. I can't conquer it. I can't make it go away. The feeling's there, and I can't stand the feeling. So let's just kind of push it out of sight. And I always say it's kind of like trying to push a beach ball under the water. So you ever try to push a beach ball under the water? You don't see it. It's not in the way anymore. You know, your vision's clear. Life looks available and accessible to you. But where are all your resources still going? They're still going to holding that beach ball out of sight. I want to keep that threat away from me. Psychologists talk about it being denial or disassociation. We're just trying to pretend it's not there. But you're still pouring tons of energy into it. It's still consuming your resources to keep it out of sight. If you think about this passage, Paul doesn't say it doesn't exist. Paul doesn't tell you to deny it, to pretend it's not there. He doesn't tell you it's a real threat. matter of fact, in Scripture, you'll find that again and again. Scripture does not deny the painful realities of our world. The threats that we face, the suffering, it tells us to expect suffering. There are threats before you. Absolutely, expect them to come. I don't think Scripture even says it's wrong ever to defend yourself, to, to fight to protect yourself. I think there are times to do that. Instead, what I think Paul is saying is this thing that right now dominates your vision, that feels like it's it's in the way of everything you want. Paul instead kind of says to you, don't push it down, don't run, don't have to conquer it. All you have to do is remember this thing that's right here. You know what? God is here also. God is present. And the God who's present with you understands. He has walked through the kind of suffering you're walking through. He's experienced those kind of things. He understands. And he's right here. The God who has power over everything. The God who ultimately is telling a good story and will even use these things to tell his good story. He's right here. And a matter of fact, there are other people right here. People have been through it with you. They're over here too. So this is dominating my vision, but you know this is true here too. And there are other people who are part of the same thing you're a part of. They're in it with you. They're fighting the same battle. They understand. They're going through the same struggles as you are. And the same God is within them and a part of their life and is fighting for them. They're with you. And, and, you know, there's threat. There's absolutely threat. But, you know, there's also a lot of blessing that you have on your side. God has loved you and cared for you and is tender and compassionate towards you. Remember those things. And it, it goes away from being this to, to kind of being this. You know? It's, it's a threat. It's there. It's part of my reality. It hasn't disappeared. I didn't have to hide it. I don't have to put a ton of resources and pushing it away. It is real and it exists. But it's one piece of it. That's what it is. Now what resources does it deserve? When it's here, it deserves everything, doesn't it? Survival, self-protection makes sense. When it's there, in the context of all these other things that are equally true, deal with it. Face it. There are things that you need to do to respond to it. But it's not everything anymore. It's it's a part of that reality. We forget about those other realities. The presence of God, the work of God, the people of God, the spirit of God. All those other realities that are equally true. And all God is saying is hold on to those. Remember those. When I counsel with people who are facing what feels incredibly threatening, and it is, I I don't want to pretend it's not. It would be... It would be perverse to tell them that that is good or that that doesn't exist. It does. I don't want to tell them it doesn't. What I want to tell them instead is, let's stop and think about the other things, resources you have on your side as you face that threat. You don't have to pour all your resources in it because you're not alone as you face it. There are other resources that are yours that we forget, that sometimes we're not very aware of, we don't remember. Let's draw our attention back to those. And suddenly... My resources feel pretty powerful to face that threat. I'm not so alone in it anymore. I think it's what Paul's reminded him, and what he wants to remind us. What God reminds us when we face Your threats are going to be different kind of threats. The Romans probably aren't coming down on you. But every one of you here knows what it is to face threats every day. Things that feel like my body's screaming at me, run, conquer it, get it out of sight. I have to. I can't imagine life unless I do that. And I think God would say to you, instead of all that, pull your attention back to Him. Pull your attention back to who's with you. Pull your attention back to the blessings that are truly... Your. You don't have to make them up. You don't have to pretend. Pull yourself back to the truth. And honestly, the truth won't deserve that kind of attack. You're freer to conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I say all these things, and I know it's easy to say, but sometimes in the midst of those battles, it is difficult. I pray, Father, you would do what we can't do for each other, that you, through your spirit, would draw back to our mind uh, those things that are true, that you would draw our attention to your presence and your love, to the power that you've given us individually and as a people. Father, I pray that you would help us to be that kind of people for one another, that we wouldn't be so consumed with the threat that just doesn't need all those resources, we would remember the incredible resources you've given us to fight this battle. A battle that ultimately you will bring victory in. We, uh, We just thank you for that, Father. We're thankful that this really isn't all in our hands anyways. In your blessed name.
0: That whole time you were holding the beach ball, and I know you too well. You're a wily fellow. You had it right here, and I thought you were going to throw it at me. I never did. My pupils were dilated. <laughs> we have some great questions. Um, what are some ways to give up threats, um, the things in our lives that are really wearing on us, and trust God when it seems horribly difficult to do so?
1: Again, one of the things I would say is sometimes our goal becomes, and I talk to you about this all the time, our goal becomes, tell me how to make that not a threat. And again and again, I want to say, I can't do that for you. I can't, I can't make what's truly threatening in this world not threatening. We live in an evil world where there is true darkness, where there are truly things that oppose the good and, and fight against us. And Scripture clearly tells us, expect suffering if you follow Christ. Expect it. I want to say, absolutely, it's true. It's there. But what Scripture also tells you again and again and again, there's a bigger story being told than sometimes everything in your body is going to tell you. Pull your attention back. See that thread in context that's also a true context. The context of God's presence and activity of His love. See it in that context. And suddenly that thread's a different thread. It's kind of like I say if I'm walking down a dark alley and somebody jumps up and I don't know who they are and, you know, like, uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And then I look beside me and here's, you know, here's giant Josiah beside me here (laughs) holding a machine gun, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay, you know. Threat's still the same. What changed? What changed is I'm not alone in it. And the person with me actually is pretty powerful in this moment, you know. So he's going to fight the threat with me. Yeah, so
2: the threat didn't change, the resources changed. And sometimes I lose sight of that. Something that I think has been helpful for me in keeping threats or, or suffering in perspective is something I read from Spurgeon maybe a decade ago. He's a, an old old Baptist preacher, and he suffered a lot in his life from disease, from kind of opposition from people within his church. And he said it would be, I'll probably I'm probably almost correct in the quote, but he said it would be a very grievous trial to me. But I didn't think all these afflictions were measured out and poured out by God for my good. So he understood that there was a purpose in it. He called them real. It was suffering. I don't think he would have chosen it for himself. Uh, But he understood that it was part of a bigger story that God was, I think you used that phrase, a bigger story that God was telling. Uh, And God was using that, shaping him uh, for his eternal good. So it gave him a a perspective on those those threats and the sufferings that he otherwise wouldn't have had.
0: When I was a freshman in college, I uh, I went to a school where we had chapel every Sunday night, and I remember I was going through a really tough time, and I remember sitting there in chapel, and everyone was singing, like everybody was like a pep rally, like singing like "You Are Good" all the time. It's a great worship song, but my heart wasn't there, and I was like, peace, and I just like walked out of chapel, and uh, and I was just really I I felt like the threats in my life were a lot bigger than. God's presence in those moments. Um, And objectively, I knew that wasn't true, but my feelings were so strong. And the darkness that was kind of like weighing in on me was really powerful. And, um, you know, something that uh, I I feel like was really encouraging to me from tonight's talk is that when Paul uh, addressed the Philippians, uh, the threats in their lives and their hearts, he didn't just beat around the bush and say, oh, those things aren't really a big deal. He really entered into that with them and addressed their pain. And uh, I feel like he was really able to help them see how the gospel was able to frame those difficult things that they were going through. And I'm really thankful I had a strong community, strong uh, friends and parents who were able to come alongside me and say, look, these things you're going through are really tough and we're here for you, but this isn't the whole story. And they were able to help me get a little bit of life perspective, um, big picture-wise, on what God was really doing. And how maybe these things that were really difficult for me, he could actually use for my good in the long run, even though I couldn't see it in the moment. Uh, So that was something that's really encouraging to me about what you noted tonight. Uh, How can we help others deal with their threats um, when their threats may seem bigger than their faith? Uh,
1: Well, again, I think about this passage. One way is to be honest Be an example of people who walk through it. And don't walk through it in denial. Walk through it owning it. Facing it, struggling with it, but also looking for those resources that give them the ability to walk through it. The more I do that, the more I become one of those examples that people can look to and say, you know, you can go through this. You can you can obey the Father and walk through this. The other is, again, what I think Paul is saying here is, as you own that, pour yourself out for others. Be a light. Shine brightly in the fact that even in the midst of hard times and darkness, you actually still love. And you don't love in a phony way. You know the threat's there. You own those painful realities. And you still believe God's there and you still obey and you still love because He's loved you. The real thing means so much more in your world than this kind of phony pretend thing. You know? the It's kind of like, I used, to, I used to hate watching Christian movies. I love movies. I'm a movie guy. But I used to hate watching Christian movies. I still struggle with some of them. Because when I would watch them, they were such an untrue story. And some still are. Because it was a, you know, life's horrible, life's horrible, Christ came into my life, beautiful, wonderful. Everything's good, nothing ever goes wrong. And I'm like, that's just so not a true story. That doesn't encourage me. I want to know somebody who's still facing struggle and reality and difficulty, things beyond themselves. And they still hold on to what's true, that God's with them and the people of God are with them. And they, they struggle, but they keep going. Because the threat didn't disappear, it's just they found the resources they needed to walk
2: through in love despite the threat. Yeah, just to add to that, I think one of the things that we can do to help others who are struggling uh, and maybe feeling like their trial or the threat in front of them is overwhelming their faith is to be honest about the struggles and the trials that you've gone through in your own faith. I know one of the things that adds to people's sense of maybe desperation in the midst of that is feeling that they're alone or abnormal. in it, Like no one else has ever gone through this. No one else has faced these struggles or had these doubts. And I know one of the things that the Bible tells us is we go through periods of trial, periods of testing, periods of doubt, so that we can help others and be an encouragers to them in the midst of their own junk. Uh, and so being honest and not putting on the face like everybody. Don't put on the movie face, you know that everything's been all right through your whole life, but be honest and, and be willing to share and be vulnerable uh, about what you've gone through too.
0: Thanks. That thing's like we're done. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Any other questions out there? Appreciate it, John. If the band wants to come forward...